you need a God you can punch. You really do. You might not think so, but I'll tell you why. It's not that you can take out your frustrations on him or anything like that, like you're angry at God or something. We do that with each other. One Christmas when I was about 11, we went to visit my aunt and uncle and my older cousin, my older cousin Rick and his older sister Bonnie. And Rick had gotten this punching bag thing. Uh, it was a basketball mounted on a flexible pole which was uh, attached to a, uh, a platform you stood on and the basketball was about chest height and so you punched it and the basketball would come back and it would swing back and you'd punch it again and it'd go back and you could just stand there and just punch this thing back and forth all night long. It was fun. But I'm punching this thing and I noticed that my cousin Rick had drawn, he had gotten a, a black uh, a permanent marker and he had drawn a sad face on the basketball with tears coming down from the eyes. And I said, Rick, who is that supposed to be? And he said, that's, that's my sister, Bonnie. And uh, I couldn't hit the thing anymore after that. I mean, I just couldn't punch my dear cousin Bonnie in the face. But I could punch a few other people later on in life, as I'm sure some of you could too. As you get older, though, you mellow a little, and you don't need people to punch in the mouth anymore to take out your frustrations. But you need a God you can punch. You probably think you're more pious than that. You think you need a God that, who can hold your hand as he walks with you and talks with you in the garden like that Merle Haggard and Anne Murray song. You think you need him to hoist you onto his shoulders as you're walking along the beach together leaving footprints in the sand. You need a God, you suppose, like the illustrations that show him playing soccer with little kids. But you don't really. You need a God whose lip you can fatten with a well-placed right cross. You see, this is the human predicament. Since Adam's disobedience in Eden, since he fearfully fled and hid himself at the sound of God walking there, mankind has been alienated from God. Everything changed for the human race, though at the time the human race consisted of only two people. These two people believed they might be their own God, or equally knowing to God, and in so doing, turned away from their Creator and the source of his life. Since then, this has been our inherited plight. This is why people hate God. They hate the very thought of him. They hate the very idea that there might be someone more important than them or over them. He is holy, they are not. His law is an affront to their do-it-yourself schemes of being a good contributing person to the human race. Nevertheless, God hasn't given up on the human race. He still calls people to be holy just as He is holy. And He sent His Son Jesus to call people in, in person to turn away from their hatred toward God or their indifference and believe in Him, the one whom God sent. The thing is, Jesus also demanded righteousness just as the Heavenly Father is righteous. 
So the message that Jesus brought from the Father was no less confrontational and hated than the original word given by Moses and the prophets. See, the law is absolute, isn't it? You learn this in uh, uh, confirmation, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments allow no room for deviation, not for, not for anything, even the last of them, like don't be jealous of your neighbor, neighbor's stuff. It's little wonder then that people prefer a God of their own making, a Jesus of their own imagination rather than the holy God of Scripture who demands that your holiness perfectly match His. People invent a good teacher Jesus, a life coach Jesus, a CEO Jesus, or a moral example Jesus, or a nice guy Jesus. But these Jesuses don't, conf- they don't confront our sinful nature. And if it, were, if it were up to us, he wouldn't have gotten wrapped across the mouth, and Jesus wouldn't have been verbally or physically bludgeoned, nailed to a cross, and killed. But my friends, this isn't the God who saved you and me. Adam didn't need, and we don't need, a God who only encourages, or encourages us to do better next time. We don't need a mulligan, you know, an extra stroke uh, not counted on the score sheet of sin. We need a God who pleads our case, who will take up his cause, who will bear his flesh and do in Adam's place what Adam failed to do. We need a holy God who will impart his holiness onto us as a free and undeserved gift. We need a God with human flesh who keeps the law perfectly. We need a God with a face that can be punched. Unless he bears human iniquity, he doesn't save humanity. Unless he receives blows to the face and other parts of his body, This God doesn't bear sin. So behold the man Jesus. He's a God who gets punched. But here's the thing. He doesn't punch back. His father did more than once with Israel. Remember? Israel prostituted themselves to the false gods of Cana and Assyria, among others. And, you know, the people of Israel figuratively punched God in the nose, but God hit him back, right? And when God hits back, he hits back a little harder. In fact, he clobbered Israel with the Assyrian army and clobbered Jerusalem with the Persians. But he held back the clobbering when he drew closer to the world like he'd never done before. In Jesus, he has drawn near, not in wrath, but in mercy and love. So behold the man who has come to seek and save lost and condemned people such as you and I. In Jesus, God walks in the midst of his creation again, and he desires to draw all people to himself out of their fearful hiding, out of their sin, and out of their disobedience. In Jesus, the creator's, where are you, Adam, has become, why do you hit me? Asked about his teaching, Jesus answers, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. And this is where the court official punches him in the face and says, how dare you talk like that to the high priest? 
Behold, this is your God. God has a face that can be smote. That's an old English term for punched, hit. But also behold, God has a back that can be whipped to shreds. He has hands that can be bound so that he can be sent to the the next highest priest, Caiaphas, and then to Pilate, and then to the cross. And this is good, actually, because our God allows himself to be struck by the sinners he seeks to redeem. Behold the man you can punch, who can bear anyone's striking, smiting, scourging, and hating. Behold the servant who will suffer in your place and my place. Behold the one despised and rejected by men whom no one esteemed. Behold the man who gets struck in the face, has borne your griefs and carried your sorrows to the cross. Behold the man who in your place is stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Behold him stabbed in the side for your transgressions. Against all human reasoning, his punishment has brought us peace. Behold the wounds by which you and I are healed. In his flesh, Jesus bears all of mankind's sinful, rebellious hatred of God. He receives the punches you, me, and many more would have lined up behind the high priest's official to be in line next to deliver. All this he gladly suffers for you. His holiness is a gift he gives, not to those who deserve it, but to those least deserving. He has borne all of mankind's hatred of God and worse, the entire Father's punishment for man's rebellion, and he has answered them with his life, with his face, his bleeding, his fat lip that bore striking in that kangaroo court of long ago. Our parents teach us that when we want to hit back after being punched or hit, we are to do what? Turn the other cheek, okay, that's a good biblical answer, right? Hold our tongue, hold back, abstain from striking back, right? In my cousin's case, his parents got him a punching bag to transfer his anger off of his sister. But, you know, those are some solutions that don't involve revenge or retaliation. As Christians, the solution to our sin is not just to abstain, not just to turn the other cheek, for which we cannot do perfectly, but to confess the law is true. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. And while we might raise a hand against him for offending that old Adam deep within us that doesn't want to hear about our sin, Jesus sends his officials, his officials, his pastors and ministers with his word of forgiveness and absolution. He is faithful and just, merciful and compassionate. The pastor raises a hand not to punch you, thankfully. Can you imagine if Jesus had set the church up that way? That, uh, that the, the, the ministers would, would administer blows to the face in retaliation for the sin of the world that Jesus received? We'd line up here to receive punches in the face. And then I'd have to punch myself. Or you'd have to punch me. But no, that's not, what, that's not how he set it up. He gives us his word, his promise of forgiveness to comfort and soothe with the assuring word of God. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sin. 
Jesus doesn't just turn the other cheek when he gets punched. He offers his whole body to be abused and his life to be taken. God turns from wrath to mercy. So behold the man who would rather endure shameful abuse at the hands of sinners than allow sinners to have to answer for their own sins. Behold the man who endured it all for you to make you whole again and holy. Amen.